Tom, you're an iPhone user, right? I am. Yeah. Okay. So this is hot off the presses, Tom. Hot off the presses. We're talking about our old friend, privacy. You're going to love this. You're going to love it. Okay. So are you up to speed with the latest changes in the developer relationships in the App Store? hundred (laughs) percent. Haven't you read my vlog? No. I don't know most of those those words. All right. So last month, Apple uh, unleashed a new privacy section uh, on in their apps. So when you go into the app store on your phone, on your device, okay. uh, there and you scroll down on any given app, uh, there is a new section called privacy. No, it's like a nutrition badge, right? Oh, for that tells you like, hey, you're eating this cereal, and here are all the ways your heart will stop if you keep eating this cereal. <laughs> right. It. It's like that, but yeah. for apps and privacy and your relationship with them. Oh, so and it's so, like you're using this and here's all the people looking at you right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here's all the people looking at you, and here's all the data that they're tracking about you, right? And <laughs> the developers now have to reveal all the data that they collect, what data is connected to you, and whether that data is used to track you. In any way. All right. So beginning, and this is important, December 8th of last year of 2020, Mm -hmm. any app update or new app submitted to the App Store for for iOS has to have this information. That's good. Yeah. I think it's great. Uh, So I use, for example, like what's your favorite? What's your most used app on your phone? Mm, Maybe Reddit. Is that Reddit? Yeah, I like Reddit. Interesting. All right. So let's just do a search for Reddit in the App Store right now. Together, let's do this real time. This is going to be great. You're going to love this. So what you see if you scroll down below the reviews, as long as you've updated your phone to the latest version, you're going to see this new app privacy section. And it's going to tell you exactly what is going on uh, with your relationship with that developer. And so it'll start with a section called data used to track you. The following data may be used to track you across apps and websites. And in the case of Reddit, your favorite app, uh, it it uses your user ID because you're logged in to Reddit, right? It has to have that information. And it uses your device ID because it has to know which device you're on because you have multiple devices that you can log in on, right? That's how that's Got how it. it's used. And so it it has usage data associated with it, meaning it, it Reddit knows how you're using their service in their app, right? So, and okay. that's it. Like, that's pretty much it. Well, they do, it, Reddit is an advertising supported organization. And so there is advertising data that is served underneath usage data. It's tracking this based on your interaction with their advertising. Okay, so, you know, when you click on an ad that's in Reddit, they need to get paid for that. That's how that works. Data that is not linked to you. The following data, which may be collected but is not linked to your identity, may be used for the following purposes. Third-party advertising, like location, they are tracking your course location, not your specific location. So they know roughly that you're in Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, User content, I assume that means stuff that you upload to them. Which is nothing. Which is nothing. Um, The usage data identifiers, developers, advertising, or marketing. So they are tracking data, again, not linked to you specifically. They're tracking purchases and location and contact information and user content and identifiers. All of this stuff is mostly used just for analytics. But again, it's not linked to your account directly. So they can't, they don't know who you are based on that 
that data set. And okay? it never will. But it is it is a long list of things that that they require of you mm-hmm. in terms of product personalization and analytics. Like they are tracking a lot that is might not be directly connected to you. Right. But from a meta perspective, somebody might be able to, an enterprising so-and-so might be able to figure out, oh, it's that Tom, right? <laughs> you could probably get there. But yeah. they're not intentionally doing, being quite so specific about it. As every, every day I put on the post, what is Reddit? <laughs> they're like, I'm pretty sure it's that guy. <laughs> what Reddit do? <laughs> what Reddit do, exactly. So I wonder what's going to happen if I search for Facebook. No, no. <laughs> It's an immediate uh, doorbell. Yeah. See where this is going. Um, so you search for Facebook and you scroll down to to the app privacy. You should do this. Everybody, should, everybody, everybody, you should do this uh, <laughs> because it's gross. It is so, so gross. You You start tracking and it says data used to track you. Contact info, physical address, email address, name, uh, uh, phone number, uh, third party information like advertising, physical address, email address, name, phone number, other user contact info, unspecified. Other, just, just the, the everything. of secrets. And what is, what is connected to that? Your photos and videos, your gameplay content, other user content, your search history, your browsing history, your uh, all product user info, oh crash data. Your uh, underwear drawer. Your your purchase history, uh, your other financial info, like credit card information that's stored on your system or stored in the app, uh, precise location, not course location. They know exactly where you are according to your GPS. <laughs> what? Correct. what? Uh, and it just goes on and on. I'm telling you, Tom, you get a, I'm going to, I got to show you. If you're, if you were on the live stream right now, you would see this extraordinary example of Pete holding up this information. Now, I know you can't see specifically what this is, Tom, but, just but I'm going to the list. I'm going to start scrolling yeah. and we're just going to look at all the stuff that oh they're tracking. God. Facebook is in the room with you. They're in the room with You're you. You're still scrolling? I'm still scrolling. I'm getting a ow. I'm getting a cramp. Okay, oh that was God. it. <laughs> what? It took me so, a really long time to understand that if the product is free, you're the product. Yeah, you know, that's absolutely We're the, the case because they're selling now, us to advertisers, right? They're totally selling you. You've been you have been sold. So <laughs> uh, so anyway, all of that is to say this is why this is so hot and why I'm so this, this is cold open. It's a hot open, Tom. It's a hot open. So, uh, you know, you look at your favorite apps and now there is this tool you can go in and say, like, what are they really using of me? Like, what is their legit purpose for that stuff? Yeah. And then Fast Company had this little oh, chef's kiss, Tom, gem. <laughs> So, you know that company, Google? Heard of it? Alphabet? <laughs> yeah, Alphabet, right. So, they have a lot of apps. I'm a on big the man, iOS by the way, app store. if they're listening. I'm a big man <laughs> from way back. <laughs> I just like saying I'm a big man. <laughs> they, they have a lot of apps on the App Store. You're aware of this. Okay. A lot. You download Gmail or Google Apps, oh, Google sure. Docs, whatever, all those things. They have standalone apps that you can download from the App Store. So, uh, you remember when I told you this policy uh, when it went into effect, effect at Apple? December. December, date? Yeah, December, like December 8th or something? You're exactly right. Oh, nailed it. Let's, let's see if you can guess. Let's see if you can guess. The last time Google submitted any sort of app update to the iOS App Store. Oh, what? Like December 7th? 100% December 7th. 
Right? <laughs> so much evidence. <laughs> what? <laughs> I am sure they are up to something revolutionary in yeah. the legal department, I guess. I don't know. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, May it please the court. I stand relieved. Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz III. And every week we each drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it, and hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Reach out! Send us the story of your anxieties, and you can do that by just visiting whatsatsmell.net. There's a little button at the top, and it just it's a form, and it's just a form. You can send an email to something stinky at whatsatsmell.net. Tom's favorite <laughs> fan fiction email address I ever. We didn't have to say. <laughs> He's cosplaying right now. Something stinky. Um, but you, really, you can just go to whatsatsmell.net, click the button, submit the form. And I will tell you, uh, I'm so excited because uh, our panic pals, uh, they're starting to come in. The, the emails, the forms. They're really? starting to get full. It turns out that when you break the submission mechanism, no one can reach you. But as soon oh. as you turn it on, it comes so, back. So the lesson is fix things. <laughs> fix Instead things when they are broken. Okay, good. <laughs> uh, but I'm very excited because I have to say, for our Panic Pals, I just uh, approved the latest order of our stickers, and they are coming. And they are I mean, sticky. I approved them a minute before I turned on the live stream this morning. One minute, Tom. Wow. Very excited about the stickers. They're on the way. So that's it. With that, I'm going to go first. You can go first. Okay. Okay. Thomas. Peter. Have we ever talked about how you schedule? Mm. Because I'm sure it's a real nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I don't know. I I, I reserve further comment until I understand where, what trap you have. Well, I just mean like, uh, you know, operating your calendar. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, everything is on my phone. Okay. And it's all I use something called Fantastical. And it's very good. Uh, I like it. Yeah. It's yeah. great. No, I'm I am proud of you for doing for using that tool because it's a great piece of software. Oh good. Um, Ooh, this yeah, is rare. it's really great. Yeah. yeah, I know it's fantastic. But how do you feel more specifically while you are scheduling? Like do you, do you get a little rise of exhilaration that comes with adding a new event? In your schedule, are you excited about being a well-scheduled guy? How would you How would you talk about yourself? That it way? definitely depends. There are times when I <laughs> I feel like okay, well, next week I won't. Even in the pandemic times, with my virtual stuff, I can get pretty full. Like my days are pretty full. Yeah. I'm like, well, this will just be for this week. Especially when I was taking my sociology course of like, next week will be fine. And then yeah. by the time I get to Saturday, that next week is already filled up with stuff. It makes me feel <laughs> just looking at my schedule sometimes makes me feel sort of weighted down. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, no, I get that. Um, I, I I am excited to talk about this because I I have my own unique behavioral. Uh, issues around planning and scheduling that are, Mm -hmm. I think, the exact opposite of the anxiety I'm going to talk to you about today. That's right. Tom, it's a listener submission! We fixed the computer stuff! We fixed it! (laughs) We don't have to make up listener submissions like last week. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, that was not made up. Foster is ill. (laughs) Foster is in trouble, yes. All right. This is from listener June. June. 
Yes. Listener June says the following. I'm afraid of my planner. Oh. I think it involves the fear of making plans, being able to follow through with plans, and facing myself when I haven't followed through. Mm. I have anxiety about what to do next. Always. I love decorating and organizing my planner, but I'm terrified of (laughs) opening it. I love that. And then she says, as a bonus, I have to say that I'm looking forward to my Panic Pals sticker so that I can put it on my planner. <laughs> Perfect. I was about to suggest that. That should be the number one. When I when I took the sociology course, I remembered I love buying school supplies. Oh, yeah. But then you have to use them, and you're like, ah. no idea what to do with them. <laughs> no, but I have so many pens and highlighters. I'm, I'm finding highlighters in every pocket of my pants. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're yeah. a big highlighter guy. That's good. Love it. Do you highlight Fantastical? Because you shouldn't. It's a computer <laughs> my program. Screen? Yeah. That's why nothing <laughs> updates on my phone. Right. Yeah. It is well, broken. it turns out that June is not alone, and I know that she's not alone, because what she wrote actually has a word for Ooh, it. Do I get hmm. to guess? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Planning anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I I can always remember I don't always have to talk. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, you can, at some point, you run out of runway, man. You just do. Your mouth opens and the plane doesn't take off. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. The word actually that you were looking for. It's a verbal tail strike. The word you were looking for is teleophobia. T-E-L-E-O-P-H-O-B-A. Yeah. Uh, And it, it is... Uh, the unreasonable or irrational fear of making definite plans and may also extend to the fear of religious rituals, such as weddings, funerals, and Sunday services. It is seemingly related to a fear of losing control and is similar to the fear of confinement or making commitments, commitment phobia. The person feels restricted or tied down by other people's agendas. Right. Your time is not your own. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's carrying a lot of water right there. Mm -hmm. What do you think, teleophobia? Now that we have laid it all out, how does that hit you? I do suffer from it at times. I don't constantly suffer from it, luckily. There, by the grace of God, go I. Mm-hmm. That should also be what the name of our podcast should have been. <laughs> <laughs> but it's always said really quick, there, by the grace of God, go I. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, but no, there are times that I do feel, as I sort of said, weighted down, and I'm, I hope I'm not skipping ahead, but I've learned that one of the greatest feelings in the entire world is canceling plans. <laughs> 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 that can be, if there should be a number one thing in my calendar, it's cancel something. Cancel something today. Right. You should always schedule ahead day plus one event that you can cancel if <laughs> yeah. you need to, just to have that in your back pocket. Yeah, and just make a fake yeah. plan you were never going to do, just yeah, so you right. can cancel it. Yeah, right. Exactly. Oh, carve that pumpkin. Oh, it's July. <laughs> I guess I'm going to cancel it. Yep. <laughs> Uh, I will say some sources actually restrict teleophobia to social plans and social agendas, not just any planning activity, but most uh, tend to generalize. This is the irrational fear of any planning activity, like making plans is terrifying, right? It's that confinement. So I'm I'm looking at like, what, what is it that might make you scared of planning? Yeah. Like going into what are the what are the things that might make you scared of planning? And and some of the research comes back to, you know, 
It's your upbringing. Um, your parents might have been folks that are afraid of commitment or uh, hmm. somehow communicated that sense of danger regarding definite plans, right? I, I don't know what that is. But that the highly likely event is that you have a past experience related to planning that demonstrates you're maybe not that great at it. Not great at just even planning. Right. Well, for example, I know this this has crossed our transom in the conversations around ADHD, right? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people with ADHD, it's like a comorbid condition because, you know, you might go through a 72 hour bender of planning your entire life. But you're not going to attend any of the events that you planned because you immediately forget about them on Monday morning. Like, that's just not where your focus is. And so a lot of people who live with with ADHD, depending on sort of their place on the spectrum, like they make calendars completely fall apart by missing scheduled appointments and thus would rather light their phones and computers on fire before trying to plan again because they live with that social anxiety now that's paired with it. It's actually traumatic. Is it extra traumatic to have to not reach a goal or to have a plan and not make it? it? It's more traumatic to let people down, right? To let others down and have that, that sort of reputational weight on you of have, of not being able to, to do the things you say you're going to do. Being put down in the books as a flake. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Do you relate to that? Very much so. Because as I just <laughs> Tell said, me about it. <laughs> I like to cancel plans. <laughs> if, I, if I had to count the number of grandmothers that have died, no. Um, uh, <laughs> oh, God. That took me a second. It took you, that's the I reason think, of why. Yeah. I, it's, yeah that's at some why point, be, someone's going to like compare notes and be like, how many grandparents does one got? Um, no, I always run the risk of feeling th- there are times, especially if I'm in anxious times, especially very much in the beginning of pandemic. And every once in a while, when I talked about looking at my calendar and feeling a little weighted down or frozen, um, it really does become a push pull between I want to exert some sort of control and have some me time. And there's like two things every day that are making me nervous, whether it's socially or something. Don't I deserve to give myself some relief by canceling or postponing one of those? But then right on the heels of that is how often have I done that with this person? (laughs) And do I have a list of like, have have I done this before? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, There are things sometimes in my calendar. I'm being very honest right now that I have to write lock colon. And then the thing, it's a reminder of you've rescheduled this. So you, it's a reminder to myself of you can't redo it again because then you will be flaky. I, but, but I've actually had to resort to absolute lock and that's like, dude, (laughs) you are about to be an ass. You have to keep this appointment. Is that the scale? Like, there's there's you, and then there's flaky you, and then there's ass. And then there's ass. <laughs> Wait. Oh, it's called ass-tastical. What did I say it was called? <laughs> um, yeah, so no, I definitely feel that. And the all of the anxiety, the relief and the anxiety that comes with making plans and canceling plans. Absolutely. Nailed it, right? There's the social fear, terrified of letting people down. There's career fear. This is another one that's related to this, which is uh, related to uh, the growth of the side hustle over traditional career jobs. People yeah. are like, I don't want to go to work every day because I that is too restrictive. That's too confining to me. I'm going to drive Uber 
when I want to, uh, and it's going to be totally flexible, and I can do it in the middle of the night when I'm inspired, or I can do it at noon when I'm inspired, and right. um, you know, just turn on the switch. But I, I'm not beholden to anyone and their expectations of me. Sure. Um, there's the chained anxiety fear, which is what we've been talking about, right? You you fear scheduling because you fear being too anxious to go do whatever it is, right. like. Uh, if I'm afraid of getting a, a blood test, then I'm just not even going to schedule that blood test. I'm terrified of the whole act of it because I know that as soon as I schedule it and commit step to it. Step one means step Yes, it means yeah. step two. It's chained anxiety, right? Yep. That's terrifying. Chained anxiety, uh, cool. Uh, and then loss of control, that fear of being engaged in something that you can't get out of, right? right. As soon as you buy the plane ticket for Aunt Margie's, you know, third wedding, mm-hmm. you're pretty much going, Right. right? Uh, and so that can be terrifying. So there are a lot of these engagements that sort of weigh on you. Um, and I, I thought it was funny. I don't know if it struck you sideways, but the the bonus sort of layer, the icing on the cake, which is the religious ceremonies. Mm, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Like, is there literally a fear of God anxiety? Like, if I commit to going to this oh, wedding or da- funeral, like, right. I'm not only letting down all the terrestrial responsibilities and relationships, but also the extraterrestrial Yeah, ones. if you skip Aunt Marjorie's third wedding, she's not going to send you to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe right. like a guilt trip, but there's not going to be right. like pitchforks and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So I, I thought that was great. Earlier this year, uh, a woman named Ann Peterson coined the term errand paralysis. And I love this, uh, this description of errand, it. Errand, like running an errand? Yes. Okay. It refers to the, the quote, and I, I am quoting, this is not me, no mm-hmm. judgment. Mm-hmm. I'll be the judge of that. This refers to the very millennial condition mm-hmm. of feeling too overwhelmed and burnout to be able to tackle daily errands and to-do lists. And if our lives are too overwhelming to allow us the headspace to tackle things like laundry and going to the post office, then it makes sense that committing to future social plans could prove challenging, too. (laughs) So related errand paralysis is just taking the unplanned requirements of like being a human being and not even being able to do that. Right. I totally get that. That's actually one of the um, deals that sometimes I make with myself is if I'm going to cancel on this, I have to do something constructive. (laughs) Like, like laundry, or I'm going to punish myself by doing dishes, which I was going to yeah. do anyways, but it has to be during that time, thus making the me time that I gave myself less fun. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a terrible cycle. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's lousy. And, and so it's lousy. It's lousy. It's just awful. And I feel like we're laughing about it. And I feel, I, I feel like we're only laughing about it because we both relate to it. And my, oh, we're laughing. If we don't laugh, then we start screaming. 100%. Oh, yeah, we both start screaming. Yeah. yeah. I, I feel like, uh, so my strategy for scheduling, I'm a hyper scheduler. Are mm. you familiar with hyper scheduling? We've talked about probably, this a little bit. Probably not. No. Nah. So hyper scheduling for me is, um, I schedule everything. Uh, I and I mean everything. I actually have one of my calendars in Fantastical that I can turn on and off is a yellow calendar and it it's called my ideal living calendar mm. and it actually says like ideally I'm in bed and going to sleep at a certain time and I wake up at a certain time like literally every day it oh, has wow. my sleep schedule on it and then it says I've a got blocks sleep for schedule. Yeah, 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 my family time and my uh you know work time and you know, when I'm eating and all of those things, ideally when I'm working on (laughs) personal projects and all that. And what I use, I've had this for years. What I use it for is, you know, if I feel like life is getting out of control, 
I turn that calendar on and just huh. use it as an overlay and see like, oh, structure, I, right? problem is I've started scheduling appointments at 730 in the morning and I don't, I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not right. at my best. That's terrible. Yeah. Um, so I schedule. <laughs> but how severe does it get? Is it like hug daughter, pat son on head three times? <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty specific. It's not that specific, okay. but I do. I use Todoist as my my mm. task management tool. Okay, which is which is great because I can put all my tasks in there and the times when I'm going to do it. And when I look at it, it gives me this agenda that says, "Here's what you're going to do," and it show all those tasks show up as appointments in my calendar. So I can use my calendar to move those tasks around, and I literally schedule even down to the 15 minute, like you know, send email to so and so is scheduled on my calendar. And is that helpful or is that claustrophobic? It's hugely helpful for me. But this is what I was saying. Like, this is the opposite of the fear of planning. I am so phobic of dropping things that I have to hyper-schedule or I feel completely out of control. I am a house of cards Mm. just waiting for the next breeze. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) It's terrifying. It is truly terrifying. Because if, if if I'm not that rigorous, I'll... I'll let something go. It'll fall Got apart. It. Okay. It'll fall apart. I. This is the stuff. I'm not kidding. This is stuff that keeps me up at night. Seriously. Wow. Yeah. So I am. I think it's the same. I honestly think it's the same uh, root. Right. It's the fear of letting people down that leads to that. I don't know if it's. I don't know if, tele, if it's teleophobic or teleophilic. Felic. <laughs> uh, but it is absolutely anxiety inducing so to to june dear june dear june i i love this this is absolutely fantastic and let me just say that the in in terms of what do we do like well first you put that panic pal sticker right on your planner and that will remind you that we've all come together and laughed about this (laughs) you are not alone that's exactly right remember that and we've talked about this on the floor that anxiety and fear are kissing cousins to exhilaration and excitement chemically Right. Mm. Inside your body, it's the same chemicals that are that are pushing their way around that that make you anxious, that fire up that limbic system. But we are programmable beings and it it might go a long way if you embrace, if you sort of lean into that feeling of anxiety and say, you know, I know I'm going to feel terrible when I open this planner. Bring it on. Let's see how bad you can get. Like, really lean into it. I I have a, a dear friend. We actually have a dear friend, friend of the show, uh, Dodre, who has his own show over the Change Paradox. Um, and he told me this story once about uh, an experience that uh, that he had. And I'll just relate loosely. Um, a young woman was having terrible panic attacks at the mall. Hmm. And... The the experience was, you know, what if you leaned into the panic attack and what if you said, you know, instead of like running from the panic attack and trying to hide from it and trying to have all these accommodations for when the panic attack got real, real bad. Why don't you go to the mall without any expectation of having to shop there? Right. There's no responsibility that you have to go go to the place like in the food court where you, uh, you know, where you normally have your panic attacks mm-hmm. and sit down and just say to yourself. Bring it on. Let's see how bad you can get. Let's go ahead and do this thing right now. Oof, yeah. She never had a panic attack, panic attack again. Wow. Never came back. Never had a panic attack again. It, it turns out that the nature of flipping that switch, of going from fear to, to excitement, exhilaration, is it, it might actually be simpler than maybe we give it credit for. 
and and there is there is language that you can use to to kind of um, love it a little bit and see what happens the next time you open that planner. I love that. I don't know, but I this was a crazy uh, a, a crazy thing to explore because I find such home in this particular anxiety myself. Yeah. And even though the, I think it manifests in a different way, uh, this was this is a big deal. I want to try your version once and plan out yeah. every single thing, like wake up, walk dog, don't eat dog, like everything that could go wrong. <laughs> First pants, then shoes, like every, <laughs> really break it down. Chew, swallow, chew, swallow. That's for breakfast. <laughs> In 1903, a product called the Magno Electric Vitalizer was sold to the American public. Consisting of two electrified copper plates that could be applied to the head or torso, the invention promised to cure almost any ailment someone could suffer from, including consumption, kidney problems, erectile dysfunction, and even stuffy noses. Unfortunately, the product was absolute bunk, and its inventor was a flim-flam man, a snake oil salesman, a real jerk person. Why, the United States Patent Office rejected an application for it on two separate occasions because it was, quote, inoperable. After buying a vitalizer for $8, the only result the consumer could count on was a lighter wallet. So why do we even still talk about this dodgy device? Because of the namesake of its inventor, Thomas Edison what? Jr. Wow. That's right. He was the son of legendary inventor Thomas Edison and used his father's good name to peddle his preposterous product upon the unsuspecting public. Fed up with Thomas Jr.'s ventures and afraid for the Edison legacy, Edison offered to pay his wayward ward a $35 per week allowance if he would simply change his name. Jr. agreed and began calling himself Thomas Willard. The senior Edison and then set him up on a mushroom farm with the hope that this pathetic partnership would eventually lead Junior to become self-sufficient. It didn't, and Thomas Edison Jr. wound up dying in a sanitarium. The end. Anyway, while the partnership between Thomas Edison and his ne'er-do-well son was a fluke, there are other partnerships that can really cut the mustard. For instance, why not partner up with What's That Smell and become a What's That Smell panic pal? Yes, for a non-renewing one-time payment of $35, you will be A, our best friends, and B, Help support the time and expenses for the production of this season. We love doing this show, but it is not free for us. And so please help us out. You will also have access to members-only episodes like the COVID sessions and other bonus material that we pretend that we already have made and we haven't. And finally, the aforementioned sticker and our undying love. Please go to whatsthatsmell.net and become a panic pal today. Pete, there is an epidemic happening right now in Southern California, and for a nice change of pace, it has nothing to do with COVID intrigued. Intrigued. Because I'm wondering if it's happening everywhere around the entire world, even you live place. That's what you say. Even you live place. (laughs) Do you know where I live? Yes. No notes. This is going great. All right. (laughs) It's called the beep back. B-E-E-P space B-A-C-K. And I know this, Pete, because that's what I've named it. Throughout this year, almost every single day, I've seen it occur between at least two different drivers on the street. Every single day. Okay, theater of the mind time, everybody. Here's the situation. Driver A makes a clear mistake. Either he or she cuts someone off while changing lanes or is looking at their phone and misses the chance to turn left before the light changes or decides to make a U-turn in the middle of the street like a crazy person, whatever. And driver B alerts to the person who made the error by giving a quick horn toot, saying, beep, hey, the light's changing, or hey, watch where you're going. 
Now here's where the beatback comes into play. Driver A, who is clearly at fault and knows that they are clearly at fault, beeps back at the other person, doubling down on their mistake in an act of utter horn defiance. <laughs> I just hurt my ears. <laughs> I am too close to the mic. <laughs> now, I realize that this might not seem like a big deal. The beatback on its own is just petty and annoying. But, Pete, I would like to posit that it is a sign of a bigger problem. It is the result of a fear that a lot of people have, and I thought it might be interesting to talk about. This week, I'd like to talk about fear of saying you're sorry, or the cleverly named apology phobia. Yes, that's what it's called. We have given no, up. That's real? Apology phobia. You can look it up on Bing. We are sponsored by Bing, right? I'm really carrying a lot of water for Bing. Yeah, not yet. Not, yeah. We're not yet, but it's coming. Look, the beatback, you started this whole uh, uh, litigating the beatback on the show a moment mm. ago, and I thought, are you sure you're not just, you know, mm. talking about you? Never. I never do the beatback because... <laughs> but are you beeped back with any degree of frequency? Yes, I have been beeped back. Yes, usually it happens. I don't beep very often. I'm I'm beep phobic. <laughs> so I don't use the beep very much when I don't have to because that's my way yeah. of breathing out and not joining the Los Angeles chorus of consistent beeps all the time, all the time. I'm like, they'll look up. It'll be fine. Am I really in that big of a hurry? Um but I as far as the apology phobia, I don't have it. If anything, I am apology phobic phobic because I fear uh this inability in people to apologize and what it means for civilized society yeah so what is your relationship with acceptance of blame and saying you're sorry do you think and i actually know the answer spoiler alert oh man this is this is hard because i figured you know, out I was through tempted, all this i yeah, figured I out through facebook oh, okay, and now you just it. told me that you know the answer already give it a try i think i'm i think i'm pretty good but um you know there is i think always that natural tendency uh, to just, you know, wish it would go away. <laughs> <laughs> instead of you dealing with... Yeah, instead of dealing with it, I think it's it's taken a lot of... Uh, you know, I think it's a constant thing. As a human being, I think it's, it's one of those things to... Because you're conquering shame every mm. time, right? Mm -hmm. You're conquering the shame of making an error and apologizing. Uh, apology is is that acceptance of, I did something wrong, I'm owning it, taking ownership of, of whatever it was. Right. And, and beating that, like, put it, shining a light on it. Right. And that's scary. Why is that scary? What are you, or if you need to put your headspace in someone else's, when I said I already knew the answer is because just last week, uh, the listener doesn't have to know the examples of this, but I apologize for something that I did on the podcast last week, and you refused to let me carry it all. Oh. You said, no, it's not just your problem. I also did the same thing. Like you, yeah. I gave you up a shame pie and you <laughs> took offered a up a bite. shame. Yeah, you took a big bite and then offered up a shame side salad. It doesn't matter. I, I failed uh, um, analogy school. Anyways, what are some of the reasons that make it hard for people to apologize? Because I have connected with that part of me and do not feel a lot of shame in apology no i and i i know that about you because you are a, you're an aggressive apologizer but in a way I, that i hope is still sincere yes, i'm not just like yeah. i don't get on and say good morning pete i'm sorry <laughs> no, but your example from last week yeah. is a great one because that was an example of you taking ownership of a, a thing that was not yours to own <laughs> right 
That was a that was a shared experience a shared between thing. us of something that you don't get to have by yourself, right? <laughs> you don't get it. You got shame greedy, <laughs> right? <laughs> you got shame greedy. Give me some of that shame cake. Oh, there's yeah. another gem. Oh, uh, we're recalling all the stickers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, it's just all shame green. I feel, I just feel like this uh, I- experience is uh, is one that is so deeply personal because, well, I'm going to speak just for myself. Yeah, I don't like knowing these things about myself. You know what I mean? Like if I do hmm. something wrong, accepting it actually writes it as canon in the history of me. Yeah. Okay, so I you're, screwed you're... up, and taking all those and putting those in the book of me is <laughs> is terrifying. I have this image. Did, did you uh, did you read the the magicians? No books. No or see the show. No, I, the magicians. I but I know of it. So there's this whole concept, and there. there's this whole library, and every book is a person, and you can read the whole book because you know magic. You can read the whole book from the moment they're born to the moment they die, and if you happen to get to the library while you're still alive, you can find out what's next. Right. It's like Westworld, and, the latest season of Westworld. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I haven't watched it, so thanks for spoiling it. That was great. Um, so, it turns out they're anyway, all robots. Okay. <laughs> I feel like that is that is the metaphor that I carry in my mind. Like, what is so scary is as soon as I say I'm sorry and take ownership of it, then I'm writing it in my book. Mm. And I hate that that is canonized. Mm. I hate that I screwed up badly enough that I have to apologize and canonize that fault. And and that's that's the derangement in my head. That's really. And I'm not saying that I'm not I'm not willing to apologize. I feel like I am. I feel like I'm I'm pretty good as a you know yeah uh, kind of middle aged white beard guy. <laughs> I think I'm pretty good white at, at owning my own crap. Yeah, yeah, white and white beard. You can't even see me in a snowstorm. <laughs> um, and, and so I feel like I'm I'm pretty good at it. But it's but I'm not going to say it's not hard. Mm. There is always that. That vein that says, okay, we're writing it in the book. Right. I screwed up. Well, it's you interesting that you find that, and I, I don't think that you would be alone at all. I was trying to examine myself. This is a weird one because I know I'm bringing up an anxiety and then saying I don't suffer from it. But I honestly mm-hmm. do have anxiety from the fact that so many people suffer from it. So it's sort of... Yeah, no, that's a real setup. That's a real setup on your part to make me look like an... Ass. Well, because now I get to really compliment myself. You've done yeah, great. Now that we've established who's the Dahmer and who's the Christ figure <laughs> of the that's, that's the that's the dichotomy. Dahmer and Christ, as everyone knows. Um, I don't know why it's the same for me. I mean, why it's not the same for me? Why it's not that hard? I'm not saying that I has it always. That's the real question. Has it always been uh, easy for you? Because that's that's, that's my experience. That when I was younger, it was much harder. To take ownership of my own stuff and to not fear, you oh, know, giving I'm somebody sure. that. Yeah, I'm sure. And I think I maybe my relationship with lying was a little stronger when I was younger because you're a little bit of a sociopath and the stakes yeah. are lower, but they feel higher. And so it's easier to get away with lies and just sort of not take acceptance for things. I'm sure it is something in the way that I, you know, 10 years ago, I probably would have beeped back. If I'd already invented yeah. it, just to be like, I I would especially be back if they were like, "Hey, I'm just yeah. talking about the beep." No, that's not a that's not a no. beep. That's a honk. That's, that's a, a honk. That's a straight. That, that's no toot. That's a that's a yeah, straight honk. That's no toot. That's yeah, fun. yeah. I think you bring up something yeah. really important, like the relationship with lying. So right now we're just talking about taking responsibility for your screw ups, mm-hmm. but I have a, uh, a zealous 
reaction to being lied to. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm, it's not great. It's not great. I, and probably, I don't know. I see it as just so enormously disrespectful. Right. And, and I think that comes from a lot of history of just dealing with it, both as somebody who has had a looser relationship with it in my early years and had to really come to terms with some things. And I've been a teacher for a long time. Ooh, that's and a lying you field. just get, God, you get lied to every day. Every day. You talk about how many grandmothers have died. Like, how many dogs eat papers? Like, that's legit. People try to right. pull off the dog ate my homework thing. Or my and dog ate just, my grandmother. Oof. You're, and when that happens twice? Yeah. Sus. You are sus. <laughs> yeah. As the kids say. By, wait, what do they say? Sus. Is that short for, for suspect? Suspicious. Suspicious? Suspect. Oh, suspicious. Yeah, like it's from that. Among Us. Do you play that game? Uh, no, but I have to talk to you about it. No, it'll be great. Because I have questions later off, off the podcast. Right. Oh, we'll do it on the live All stream. Right. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, how dare you? <laughs> you brought up Among Us. You admonished me for continuing to talk about it. How dare you? Have you ever gotten the, but teacher, I did turn in the paper and you gave oh, me yeah. an A. What? Yeah, oh my especially. God. That's weird gas. Because I've been teaching online for years, oh, right? Like right. long before. Oh yeah, we talked. And so, that's right. Oh, I just, I'm afraid I don't know why the timestamp is incorrect. Oh. Maybe my computer's in Madagascar. <laughs> oh, I did download accurate. a glitch. <laughs> yeah, Can you download right. a glitch? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm uh, the one reason that I'm a little surprised by your reluctance is because you were like me. You were also a people pleaser. Maybe are mm-hmm. you less of a people pleaser than I am? Or, well, I guess that's a I tough don't one. Know, man. Don't know. I'm, I, I'm pretty. I'm, I'm pretty people pleasing. You're pretty as far as the people pleasing goes. Yeah, you're yeah. up there. Um, I'm a people pleaser, and I know, but also I know that vulnerability is really important. And vulnerability yeah. and a certain amount of self-deprecation, which is baked into my very essence, if you don't go too much for it, is really a nice connector uh, mm-hmm. with people, especially when you're meeting people. I used it when I was doing Young Storytellers. I would make a little mistake or point out if I ever made a mistake to my students to diminish the teacher and student relationship because Young Storytellers is supposed to be a much more social situation. And also, I think after thinking about it, because I'm a man or a woman, no, in this case, I'm just a man. Uh, <laughs> I'm a man and we have way already, there's way too many men out there who see vulnerability as a weakness. And need yes. to double down because of toxic masculinity. And so I think I'm sort of also retroactively fighting against that in that same, the producers that brought you the Tommy that was like, I'm not going to make a run at the stores during the pandemic. And America said, okay, great. <laughs> and then there was nothing to eat <laughs> for like a week. Yeah. No, yeah. that Tommy was yeah, that, hungry. That's, that's weird social justice Tommy who is yeah. left behind <laughs> and is just eating Kleenex. Yeah. But also one of the big things that I know is uh, that I'm apologizing for that one action, not apologizing for my entire existence. And I think when you're talking about yes. writing things in the canon, that can get lost. You can equate yourself yeah. with your last thing or think that this what happened this afternoon is now the latest score. That you have yes. and has like ruined your, to speak in your language, has ruined your grade point average. I think that that connects to the like, I am not my foibles. Right. Right. Like we contain multitudes and I screwed up and I missed a meeting or I, I just wasn't able to do this in time. Or I let somebody down. Like that doesn't mean I am suddenly, right. you know, on fire. It doesn't mean that, you know, people start deleting my name from their contacts list spontaneously. Right. Like I'm not erased. Right. Uh, but I screwed up. But I think the extent to which I'm not erased 
and this is the lesson that I think is, is hard won for a lot of people. The extent to which I am not erased is directly related to the extent to which I'm able to own it when I do screw up. Hmm. Say that again. Right? I, I think people trust others more who are willing to present bad news. Yes. Correct. Right? And, and when I say, I'm sorry, I screwed and to up. to own bad news, right? To take yeah, responsibility, think, yes. Right. I think my hunch is that those people are like, oh, well, he screwed up, but at least he's willing to own it. I, I, I think it's okay to continue to do stuff. Now, if I screw up all the time, if I'm just a terrible, then, then I just might not be very good at my job, but, right. <laughs> um, which is different. That's a different anxiety. Right. <laughs> That's imposter syndrome and shame yeah. salad and all that. Yeah, totally. Well, along with what you're saying, I did find one quote that I thought was nice. Psychotherapist Dr. Robbie Ludwig says, saying you're sorry shows those you love that you care enough about them and the relationship to be aware of your shortcomings and to take mm-hmm. responsibility for your hurtful actions. In the end, making things right is way more important than being right. And that's just a nice way of saying what you said. Well, I hope so. That there's a connection. No, what I'm saying is you just used a bunch of words. Robbie really hit it out of the park. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, I'm sorry. No, it's, I'm, I'm so sorry, sorry. I screwed that I'm up so for sorry. you. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but just, I mean, uh, that the fears that we have about apologies, it's really the opposite is having. And so owning up brings you closer to someone. And about vulnerability or weakness, can I read you just one more quote? Sure. Um, Journalist Belinda Kai wrote this, saying I'm sorry actually shows strength, not weakness. What? A person, she didn't say that, what? That was me. A person who can apologize and truly mean it is self-aware. They've taken the time to really think about their actions and reflect on the conflict from all perspectives. Yeah. So it's strength and it's owning and it's vulnerability that actually gets you closer to other people. Um, I think we should have a real sorry party in this country. <laughs> it sounds like a terrible party, but what do you think? I think it's a great party. Yeah. I'd like to go there and then maybe we could just all sit down, eat a shame salad, yeah. maybe sit on the floor and just give each other a big shameful spanking. Maybe. A, oh, now you're making it sound like an apology key party. Like we all put our. <laughs> Our mistakes in a bowl, and then you take someone else's mistake home with you and apologize to it. I did not imagine this anxiety would go there. And now, thus is born a new anxiety for me. Oh, tune in next week. Anxiety after dark. so much for joining us for this episode. This week's tune is Keeping Up by Icolics. I'm Tommy Mess III. And I'm Pete Wright. Thank you for downloading. We'll be back next week on What's That Smell? What's That Smell?